0: approach God's Word today. And I'm going to ask that we we begin our time in prayer. Unless God moves, this is a futile exercise. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, by your grace, we come to you and we thank you that your Word reveals your truth and your love to us. May our hearts be open and our eyes ready to see your gracious kindness to us, mainly through Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. Five minutes. You have five minutes to be at the returning place of that Hertz truck by 12. My wife gives a phone call and she says, look, we're running late. And they say, no, gate's closing at 12. Now that is a challenge because it's already 10 minutes to 12 and the trip's going to take 20 minutes. This is yesterday, by the way. Um, our family's moving home and we'd rented a Hertz truck and we have to return it. Uh, it was a bit ambitious, perhaps, to move the whole house in half a day. And I'm on that road and the temptation to speed is very strong. You know, can I get away with doing 110 in the 90 zone? Is it worth the cost of a speeding ticket? No, because then if I do that, then that's going to make me take even longer to get to the... Hertz returning place because I'll be pulled over. All right, slow down, slow down, slow down. The tension is just rising. The stress levels are there. Am I going to get there? And unbeknownst to me, Jamie had uh, rung them up and she had assertively said, well, actually, you made him a little bit late in the morning, so please, and I I don't know her tone, but um, (laughs) I'm sure it was was encouraging. Uh, (laughs) Please keep the gates open. And I arrived there... um, at, 12, at 12.05, I pull into the gates, and they said, oh, have you filled up the truck with diesel? And I said, oh, no, sorry, I didn't get time for that. But I made it here. What can you do? And, oh, you know, the stress comes right down until I'm sure the next stress arrives. For example, we couldn't find one of our um, speakers, our Marshall Speaker, and we're like, where is this Marshall Speaker? We only bought it, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, just bring some tranquility to the house, And in the move, we can't find it. And, um, you know, there's another peak of stress, and then you hit the bed at 9 o'clock, and you've got to preach a sermon the next day. (laughs) Uh, No, that's all good. It's God's grace. Um, But by God's grace, I had this all prepared beforehand, so I didn't have the stress of thinking, how am I going to get this done in a house that's still in a state of chaos? So our topic today is on sanctifying the ordinary mental health a very, very important topic, a sensitive topic, and yet we need to approach it with boldness because, as we will see, God's Word speaks directly into this topic of mental health, sanctifying the ordinary series looking at mental health. Now, as even from that story that I um, shared with you, you could hear the points, and you could probably visualise where my mental health was, peaking at certain points where I was more stressed, with a relief of I made it in time for that truck and I came back to more of a normal zone of stress. And I want to actually begin by defining some of the terms and identifying the commonality of this human experience of what mental health is. We've got to be on the same page so that we don't approach this topic in an unhelpful way with misunderstanding. And certainly with this kind of topic, uh, we want to be on the same page, otherwise it could lead to gross misunderstanding. So that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to actually approach it from a biblical perspective. So the first little bit is going to be about definitions, but definitions are important. We have to make sure we're on the right, um, on the, uh, under the right definition at the same point of understanding. So I'm going to share with you three uh, definitions. one's mental health. What is mental health? Mental illness and mental disorder. So we're gonna start off with mental health. This comes from the World Health Organization. Mental health is a state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well, and work well, and contribute to their community. Underpins our abilities to make decisions, build relationships, and shape the world we live in. That's mental health. So everyone has mental health. Everyone just like everyone has physical health. And I'll explain a little bit further. Next term we need to define is mental illness. Mental illness. This, likewise, um, is an important term to define, and this comes from the National Study of Mental Health and Wellbeing from the um, important organisation there from the government. And it reads, mental illness can be defined as a clinically... so it's observable, diagnosable disorder... That significantly, so you're looking for the keywords there, interferes with an individual's cognitive, emotional, or social abilities. That's a mental illness. So everyone has mental health, but not everyone is at the same time experiencing mental illness. Only a proportion of us that may be experiencing that. Finally, mental disorder. Mental disorder. A mental disorder is characterized by a clinically observable significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotional regulation, or behavior. It's usually associated with distress or impairment in important areas of functioning. There are many different types of mental disorders, and that's from the World Health Organization. Now, as I was reading that language of that final definition, you probably realized that there were some similarities, commonalities between that and mental illness. And I want to actually now graphically demonstrate what we've just talked about with those three defined terms so that if you're a visual person, it just makes it a lot clearer. So if we could go to the next slide. We see here, this is not from the World Health Organization, but my way of synthesizing it for you. You see here on the left, sorry, I always get these directions, that one, uh, your mental health, the arrow there, and then it goes down to mental illness, and mental disorder with the equal sign there. So mental illness and mental disorder are synonymous. They're just different terms used, but they're the same um, characteristics that are significantly impairing someone's mental health. Then if you look on the other one, mental health, we all have mental health, all of us, and it's on a continuum which we're moving along all the time. So usually the movement is minor and almost indiscernible. It's incremental, but sometimes it's a dramatic shift, and we're in a healthy state on one end of the continuum. Think of one end of the continuum being mentally healthy. All of a sudden, a traumatic event, such as the passing of of a loved one, the loss of a job, or any other sort of crisis, and we dramatically, drastically shift from healthy down the other end of the spectrum. And then there's some other moments where we're on the healthy end of the on the, the continuum and then slowly through incremental, almost indiscernible or sometimes discernible um, moments, we're sliding down the continuum until we actually find ourselves in a mental state of unhealthiness. And that may have been over a six-month period of time and you, you realise, I'm actually, I think I'm depressed, I'm suffering from severe anxiety. And it manifests then in a mental disorder or illness. So we're all on that continuum. That's really important we, we understand. And other moments, uh, we, may, we may find ourselves, uh, without realising how we've arrived there, uh, in a position of back to mental healthiness. Or sometimes we need intervention, to actually get from that mental unhealthiness state back into that state of mental healthiness. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, that's all well and great. Um, I understand that we're all on a mental health continuum. But what about those severe manifestations? Psychosis or severe anxiety or um, depression? Um, How does that relate to me? Well, you may or may not be aware, but it's actually a very common human experience as well. And we see from the Australian Bureau of Statistics from their National Health of Mental Health and Wellbeing study, the following. This was released in 2022, so very current data. Over two in five Australians aged 16 to 85 years, so that's 43.7%, or 8.6 million people, had experienced a mental disorder at some time in their life. That's quite a significant number. Or one in five had a 12-month mental disorder. So that was in 2022. With anxiety being the most common group in a 12-month period. So pretty much, you are guaranteed to know someone who is suffering right now, experiencing some form of mental disorder, manifesting in a whole range, a whole gamut of experience. Even now, right in this room, a quarter of us are suffering from a mental disorder. Perhaps silently, or perhaps we have others who can support us. And I hope that is the case. my hope is that at the end of this time together, learning from god's word and understanding mental health we come to have a deeper place of empathy and connection that we come to understand that mental health is a common human experience and statistics also show that it's an experience that at some point you are most probably going to experience a mental disorder in your life or or at least uh, an extreme form of mental health unhealthiness We need to recognise also, individually and collectively, that we might sit at different ends on the the spectrum of understanding about mental health right now. Some of us might have come from a cultural background or a family growing up situation where mental health, yeah, I'm sure mental health, we're all healthy, but mental illness, that doesn't exist. What's mental illness? They're just crazy, they're just cuckoo, psycho. Did you hear about such and such? They've lost their brain. We may have come from that family context, that family situation, even a point of denying its existence, and people have been suffering in silence in that cultural background. Some of us may be on the other end, and we're quite well-educated, and we understand deeply... Um, that mental illness is a reality. We may understand it personally or in a clinical sense. And yet, it may actually remove us from a sense of empathy and connection, ironically, because we come across arrogant, that we we know it, and therefore, those who don't know it, they're ignorant, they're stupid. Or there might be some of us on that spectrum who know a little bit, know a little bit, not enough but hopefully at the end of this time together we come to understand enough so that we can at least connect and have a degree of empathy that we can enter into that space of mental health with compassion and understanding and ultimately with a christ-like disposition of love we want to we want to come to a place where people can feel that they can open up to us And not receive condemnation not receive a label of judgment knowing however that this does not necessarily in having all of this knowledge and and having this ability to connect with someone else and empathize does not necessarily reduce their suffering god in his own wisdom may have placed them on this journey of suffering for a season that they will have to endure no matter how much wonderful support they have around them. And we will get into that. And with all of this in mind, may we bear, hopefully, the words of Romans 12.15 that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's Romans 12.15. We see from the Bible, the biblical perspective is that the mental health continuum, our falling into unhealthiness, is a result of our broken and fallen world. In Genesis chapter 3, our foreparents, Adam and Eve, decided when they rebelled against God to choose a world that would be, from that point, marred by sin, characterised by brokenness and pain. A world that has entered into a space of groaning. A world that perpetuates suffering on others and causes mental distress. And a world in which, biologically, people are born with weaker minds that are struggling. And it's a pointer to the need for redemption and restoration of our fallen human condition. And we have seen that this reality of mental health, unhealthiness, has been a struggle that has been for many people. And I want to just highlight two Christian individuals, just to reinforce this idea that Christians do struggle with mental unhealthiness. I'm going to bring you to Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon. Martin Luther, for those of you who may not know much about him, he's the one who catalyzed the Protestant Reformation, largely, in a sense, responsible for how our modern world begins through how technology and progress of understanding has happened through that. But some have argued quite strongly that he actually suffered from mental illness and we're going to have a read of this. This comes from Can Christianity Cure Obsessive Compulsive Disorder? A psychiatrist explores the role of faith in treatment and this is what he happens to say about Martin Luther doing an in-depth study. For more than a decade, Martin Luther suffered from thoughts that flew into his mind and caused him to panic. He suffered them every day, perhaps even every waking hour. He fought them with all his might, but they did not relent. Clearly, Luther suffered from clinical obsessions. Luther confessed for six hours, then asked for more time. This was compulsive confessing at its most severe. Based on what Martin Luther himself tells us, it can be reasonably concluded that he suffered from a textbook case of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now, let's go to Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he said, "'You may be surrounded with all the comforts of life "'and yet be in wretchedness more gloomy than death "'if the spirits are depressed. "'You may have no outward cause, whatever for sorrow, "'and yet if the mind is dejected, "'the brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom.'" Can you get that quote up? There are times when our evidences get clouded and our joys are fled. Though we may still cling to the cross, yet it is with deep, with desperate grasp. And he was someone who suffered from probably what was clinical depression. Despite these men's struggles, they were powerfully used for the glory of God Martin Luther bringing the gospel back to Christianity, re- revealing the truth that had been buried under tradition and under church hierarchy for for too long. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Pe- Preachers, Prince of Preachers, suffering from depression, clearly having a deep understanding of faith, a personal understanding of faith, and yet suffering from depression. I'm trying to build a case for the common human experience as also experienced by Christians. So bear with me, but this is important as we go through this. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good. They're historical people. But what about those superheroes from the Bible? Those men who were prophets, who were strong, shared God's Word, did faithfully what God wanted. Well, unlike Islam, which says that prophets are sinless, the Bible presents very flawed men, very flawed, weak men, but God used them for His glory. God uses those that are in a state of mental unhealthiness and mental illness. Well, we see, for example, David, he writes powerful psalms of grief, anger, frustration, desperation and anxiety. Just flick to any number one of the psalms, Psalm 88 It's a psalm of no hope. And yet it's recorded there for the community of God to be singing. Singing in truth. In honour and praise to God. This is David. Elijah, he becomes so fearful of Jezebel after commanding the killing of Baal's prophets that he flees into the wilderness and he asks God to die. He asks God to die. He says, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my fathers. That's suicidal ideation, that's pretty dramatic language. Or Job, whose grief and agony in his mental health, unhealthiness, was so severe that he lamented the day of his birth. We read in Job 3.1, he says, he cursed the day of his birth and he writes some very intense chapters on how it would have been better if he had not been born if he was a stillborn this is on a sample i could share about jeremiah moses martha jonah and recount their mental health challenges too but there's just not enough time but i encourage you to go have a look at these faithful men recorded in scripture who are not afraid to come to the lord in their moment of mental unhealthiness pouring it all out Their emotions roar before God. And they're not rebuked, chastised for coming to God in their rawness. Now, that was a very lengthy introduction, in in a sense. But it's important we're on that same page. We understand the common human experience of mental health and, surprisingly, the common human experience of mental illness slash disorders. So I want to lead us now down the road of... Walking the line of potential dangers and helpful approaches. Potential dangers and helpful approaches. Because how are we to understand God's Word and its application to sanctifying the ordinary of mental health? Because we're required to actually hold attention. Complexity, mental health is complex. It is complex. Humans are complicated complicated as it is let alone adding a complexity of a health situation some churches and some people of faith maybe you've even experienced a conversation with someone when you've been struggling perhaps you've broken up with a girlfriend a boyfriend and you're just in the pits of despair or you've lost a job and and they've said things like you just need to trust in jesus you just got to believe You'll be all right. You You're saying trite, quick, off-the-tongue words that roll off, but don't really have any meaning. Certainly no listening ear. Or maybe they've even questioned and they've said to you, you just need to have more faith. You are an unbeliever. You need to believe. If you believed more, you would not be suffering from that severe anxiety. You would not be suffering from those panic attacks that are striking you at random points and you are crippled that you cannot even leave your car to go to work. You just need to have faith. Or, may I, or maybe even saying, you know, uh, what can I do for you? Well, how can I help you? And at first it seems great, but then they only offer to help you once, only offer to lend their listening ear to you in one time and then leave you feeling Vulnerable. Because you've shared, you've poured yourself out. And rather than connecting and, and checking in and seeing how you are, they've left you stranded there, offering you some help, throwing you the, the, uh, the uh, ring of, of um, lost the word, the ring of help in water. <laughs> yeah, offering you that, but they're not giving you the rope and pulling you in. They leave you there floating in the ocean of despair. We have to remember that, we have to recognise that um, there have been some unhelpful approaches that even we have probably given ourselves. Sometimes even going down the line of saying, well, you must be living an immoral Christian life. There must be sin in your life at the moment. God is unhappy with how you are living and he has punished you. He is punishing you so that you can turn around, repent and believe and receive life. If you're in Christ, we ought to only be happy people. Believing at a basic level that poor mental health is a result of a spiritual cause and its remedy and treatment is only actually found, solely found in a greater understanding and application of Scripture by greater faith and sometimes at the expense of seeking professional help now that's one end of extremities there's the other end mind you we're saying well mental health i wouldn't go and talk to my pastor i wouldn't share with my friends if i had a broken leg to get help and counsel i would go to the doctor get that men, get that health right there and then they get my leg cast all done, and I would start to recover and heal. I'm not going to go and share and ask for my Christian, friend, my Christian community to offer me support. Sure, that can help carry my crutches and help me when I need, you know, in other physical things, but I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to get that resolved. And there can be that temptation for us to go, well, I'm just, you know, mental health, unhealthiness, that's just the realm of the mental uh, health experts your psychologists psychiatrists counselors etc believing that there is nothing that the bible can provide us on this topic of mental health but we have to recognize that these in of themselves are secular in nature psychology is based off a humanistic understanding believing that environment largely causes largely causes areas of mental unhealthiness. You fix your environment, you fix your mental unhealthiness. And sometimes, even going so far, I've heard of stories where saying, these specialists saying, well actually I think it's your your cause of your mental state at the moment is your faith. I think if you Perhaps re examined what it is about Christianity. This idea that somehow you're inherently sinful, that you're needing grace, I think that's problematic. No wonder you're feeling depressed. That's, that's casting you in a negative light, it's, it's fixating your mind on that. Perhaps jettison God, and you might find greater to mental health so how do we manage these spheres you know how do we have at one end the extremity of spiritualizing and not and not providing helpful help there and the other end going to the secular community and not receiving proper help there either from the spiritual condition that we all have of needing god's help how do we do that Uh, I think it was either last year or the year before. The years are running away as quick as they come, I'm finding. Um, We had a gentleman by the name of Andy Farmer come out. And Andy Farmer spoke on opening the gazebo. A very helpful illustration that a lot of us who happened to hear him found uh, was this idea of opening the gazebo. So when you go into... Well, let's use the illustration of my new home. When you go uh, into our home, it, it smells of curry... Real strong curry, um, because the person who lived there before was of subcontinental ethnicity, and they enjoyed curry meals. And but um, it was not the smell that we wanted in our home. So what do we do? We open up, open up windows, let that airflow get through. If we didn't, the smell would stay there. And any farmer talks about how we want to view mental unhealthiness, mental health, as kind of. Everyone has a gazebo of their health in the mental realm. And we want to encourage the the mental unhealthiness is kind of the the stench in that gazebo, uh, sorry, in that home, and we want to make it into a gazebo. You know, there's no doors, no windows, it's open. We want to kind of open up windows, let that fresh air. And one way of opening up a window is by seeking professional help. Another way of opening up a window is actually having a conversation with you with a listening ear. Another way of opening up the window is encouraging them to read the Word of God and know that God will speak to them through there. Another way of opening up that window is exercise. And there's many, many windows, that I'm not going to list them all, but it's about opening up the window. So we want to recognize that we want to, when we're approaching someone, that we want to see if they're a closed unit, they're a closed dwelling, with the stench of mental unhealthiness, burdening them, suffocating them, that we want to not demolish, demolish that building, bring a wrecking ball. We want to open it up, make it a gazebo, let the air flow come in. And if you are not a specialist in mental health, like you are not being trained by that, then you still have a role. Your job is to speak words of encouragement, uplifting, weeping with them, as Roman says, Weep with those who weep. Your role is to open up the window. Because the church has recognised for a long time that God's Word does provide us answers. God's Word is the source of life. I'm going to read you another lengthy quote, but I do want to really emphasise this point, that God's Word provides us um, answers. Sonny. whether or not, the church was doing a good job of pastoral care. Whether or not the church was doing a good job of pastoral care, for the first 1900 years, all Christians agreed that Scripture was a basis for restoring human lives. But a fundamental shift came with the advent of the modern secular psychologies, pioneered by Sigmund Freud in the late 1800s. In a short amount of time, historic biblical categories of creation, fall and redemption were replaced by secular categories of mental health and mental illness. So, he's not denying the reality, he's just saying that has shifted in how to approach it. Responding to this trend, David Pollison writes in his book, Speaking Truth and Love, Counsel in Community... But as we look more closely at life, it becomes clearer and clearer, the scripture is about counselling, diagnostic categories, causal explanations of behaviour and emotion, interpretation of external sufferings and influences, definitions of workable solutions, character of the counsellor, goals for the counselling purpose. These are all matters to which God speaks directly, specifically and frequently, He calls us to listen attentively and to think hard and well and to develop our practical theology of conversational ministry. I want to highlight that last last little bit, bit there. He calls us to listen, that is God, He calls us to listen attentively, listen attentively, to think hard and well and to develop our practical, the outworking of our theology of conversational ministry. God has called us all to be Christian counsellors. He has called us because He's given us all the word and His word is applicable to our lives and we speak those truths into each other. So I'm going to lead now into um, my next point, which is managing and supporting those who are afflicted through word ministry. So managing and supporting those who are afflicted. How? How? through word ministry. It's complex. As I was undertaking this process of, of thinking about this sermon and composing this sermon, I realized, and uh, just under the pressure right now, I can't recall who said this. Oh yes, I can. Um, I, I realized that you could write a doctorate on this. And if I was ever to write a doctorate, I would write it on this, mental health from a Christian perspective. And uh, yesterday when we were moving, a friend was there. Uh, his name's Chris. He said, oh, you will know, be careful saying you never want to do that. <laughs> God just might do it. I'm not doing it. Okay? I'm done with study. But the, there's so much that we could cover because the Bible's rich. The rich. It's a rich source of God's good news. He speaks into our lives. He counsels us He tells us how to speak into other lives. So I'm just going to kind of zoom in on some snapshots because I recognize that we're constrained with time. But I want us to focus in on some specific examples exploring this complexity of mental health. And the first one is Job. Job experiences suffering. He he is in the pits of despair. He loses everything. His health, his property, his family... And his friends come along, and rather than being supportive, they betray him in attacking his character because they believe his suffering and mental anguish is a responsibility of him because he is wicked. They say, Job, repent of your wickedness, you're responsible. Job, repent of your wickedness, you're responsible. And we read in the survey of the book of Job, in all 42 chapters, Job wrestling with God. He's like, why am I struggling? I need you. Where's the justice? I am a righteous man. And we read, God, God visits him and talks to him. And actually, God had allowed his suffering specifically because he was a righteous man. But Job never finds that out. We as the reader understand that, but Job suffers because he is a righteous man. And God actually says, Job, you need to pray for your friends because they've obscured my plans. The thing is, just like Job's friends, let's not be quick or hasty to say, you must be sinning, there must be something wrong you're doing. You're responsible. Because we're not to obscure the plans of God. God was outworking His plans through Job's suffering specifically. Did that make it easy for Job? No. Did Job suffer? Absolutely. But was God in control? Most definitely. We must take care when we're consoling. Not to presume we somehow know God's reason. Let's not presume we know the mind of God. We must let God be sovereign. Let His plans outwork. And not undercut the suffering purposes of God by trying to rush people out of suffering. We can sometimes feel uncomfortable when we don't want people to suffer. When I see my daughter upset for whatever reason, you know, whether she scraped a knee or she didn't get that birthday um, little party bag thing. It was left in someone's car. <laughs> you know, you want to relieve that pain. A, because I see her in pain. B, because it's uncomfortable for me. Stop crying. We'll get that party bag. Quick. Can you come back with the car? We'll get that party bag. <laughs> We're moving house. Like, really? What's a party bag? Anyway, <laughs> the point is, right, that, um, you know, there can be an, a sense of urgency. We want to rush them through it. But instead, you know, you know, instead, we want to speak into the silence. How? With empathetic listening. With empathetic listening. Speak into that silence with empathetic listening, listening gently, listening carefully, and where appropriate, gently directing their attention to the great soul physician. Allow God to speak for himself. We do not serve a mute God. We serve a God who is active and speaks to his people. god god will reach the mentally troubled let god meet them as they wrestle let's not prescribe our limited human wisdom and understanding to the sovereign in his purpose we can see another problem that we want to make sure that we're we're addressing um, with this you know this this wickedness we see of, of of saying you're wicked and you're responsible Jesus' disciples, we read in John chapter 9, um, we read, they stumble upon this man who's been born blind. And his disciples ask, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? And Jesus, as he passed by, he answered. And actually we read, Jesus saw him first. It was not this man sinned or his parents. But why? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that's a challenging verse. God made this man born blind. Think about it. All those days suffering with the tripping into things and injuring himself and possibly being teased and taunted, being born blind for all of the years. But why? That the works of God might be displayed in him. You notice that Jesus redeems awkwardness and insensitivity of the question posed by the disciples he doesn't say you know there's a specific sin in the man's life or that his parents you know led him to suffering instead he says he turns he says it's actually for the glory of god the disciples thought it was a result of cause but jesus reframes it to purpose the disciples thought it was a result of cause he's blind because there must be cause either his parents sinned or he sinned and jesus says no it's about purpose Likewise, our mental health is ordered by God. We read, for example, in Proverbs 16:32, and this is tying into sovereignty, "The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord." That's from Proverbs 16:32, uh, or Paul with his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. He pleads with God, remove it, remove this. Or Job, pleading out to God, God, why am I suffering? How is this just? Paul saying, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in my flesh, whatever it is, that it should leave me. But in verse 9, but he said to me, this is God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. God is sovereign, and He sovereignly has your mental health in His hands. It's not out of His scope. And if you're struggling with your mental health at the moment, then recognise in that difficulty and and in that pain that God knows he's not aloof he's not unawares of your suffering and plead with him to take it away but recognise that he may say to you my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness on the other hand we don't want to go to the extreme again and once again coming back to this complexity of it all and handling it with wisdom and care. And if you don't know how to do that, then plead with the Spirit to meet you and He will. He's our comfort, our counsellor. We want to recognise that sometimes mental unhealthiness is caused by sin. It is. And it's an opportunity for us to actually examine our hearts and to recognise that we need to repent. For example in the psalm 51 david says purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow that's psalm 51 purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice and this is in regards to the affair he had with Bathsheba <clears throat> And he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That is from Psalm, the second part there. My, uh, sorry. Yeah, my heart is dried up as by the heat of summer. Sometimes people have pursued immora- immoral paths. And then mental unhealthiness is the result of a conflicted spirit being wrestled and torn between following the desires of God and His right ways as found in His Word and following the desires of their heart, being pulled and tugged by the desires of the flesh. And there's that wrestle because sin breaks us. It's destructive. It is destructive. And in those moments it might be our difficult task, in context of relationship, to actually gently rebuke a brother or sister, gently rebuke, having them acknowledge their sin to God, confessing their transgressions to the Lord. Why? Because God will forgive the iniquity of their sin, restoring the joy of His salvation, restoring the joy of salvation. So we need to hold this tension, this complexity, this soup of mental health. It's not like nice ordered wheat picks. You pull them out of the boxes, you know, they're there in a little block, put it in. You need to have a ladle for soup and it's messy and it spills all over your countertop. It's not like that. It's complex. Yeah. due to the amount of time I'm, I'm aware that as mentioned the scripture has so much to say and I have so much here so much gold But i can't share it with you all i encourage you to go and explore the word of god if you're in a mental unhealthiness state explore it and implore god to meet you read the psalms and say them as your words read the stories of characters who are suffering press into one another in the body of christ drawing near to one another embracing one another Press into the Spirit, if you're in Christ, knowing that He is the comforter, the consoler, the ever-present presence of God in your heart. And pray that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. Guard the soul, that God will give you contentment even though you struggle. This is Paul writing in Philippians, he says, he's writing from prison. And this, if you know anything about Paul, he's been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, flogged. He's been hated by the Jews, hated by the Gentiles. He is a man who's endured much suffering. And we're not told of his current state. what he's suffering I'm sure there's chafing under the the constraints of being in prison not being able to see people the social isolation the gloominess and yet he is the one who writes in Philippians do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses it goes above All understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a reality that we can speak to our hearts. But our greatest strength, our greatest comfort, our greatest truth is this, that Jesus, our high priest, has experienced mental health challenges. Never experiencing mental illness or mental disorder, but mental health challenges unhealthiness. This means that we have a high priest who's able to empathize with us. He's able to sympathize with us. As Hebrew says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can draw confidence to the throne of God, confidence to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find help, grace to help in the time of need. And Isaiah reads that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus wept. He was not sunshines and roses and walking along fields of daisies all the time. Jesus experienced mental unease, mental unhealthiness. We read of his moment, the climax, the moment which determined whether we would be redeemed and saved sinners in that garden. And it cost him, it cost him greatly mental health wise. We read in Mark 14, 32 and Luke 22:44 that they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, even to death. And Luke, it says, in agony, he prayed more earnestly and sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground because he, in his divine, human, 100% God, 100% man, did not want to, on a one level of will, go to that cross. He knew what involved. He knew it involved death and spiritual death, at that disconnection from his father as Jesus, God, human man. And in that garden, he is praying earnestly, sweats, drops of blood from the mental anguish. God, is there any other way you can take this cup from me? Any other way, he is suffering. He is suffering. He is is alone. His disciples are sleeping. This is his hour. John uses the word, this is our hour. His hour had come. And in his hour of greatest need, what are his disciples doing? They are sleeping. He is alone in the garden, praying earnestly to his heavenly father for relief. But he doesn't. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Not my will be done, but yours be done. And in that moment, he resolves to go and finish the task. To go and finish the task for which he had come. And if he did not finish that task, we would be damned. But he resolves to go to the cross. In that mental unhealthiness, that anguish, that pain, he goes to the cross. He experiences flogging. He experiences the anguish of the wood rubbing up against his back. He experiences the nails being driven through his hands and feet. And he hangs on that cross and he yells out words recorded in Psalms My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he hangs on that cross. Because it is God's will and purpose to save sinners who he has known before the foundation of the world, predestined in love to bring you to him. Jesus hangs there and he breathes his last breath. And it is accomplished. In Christ's No mental health illness can separate you from that love that Jesus Christ has lavished on you, that the Father has willingly done to bring his children to him. I want to finish with the words of Romans chapter 8. And I want us to to recognise the glory of what Christ has achieved Christ has achieved something magnificent. That now in him, there is only security and safety in him. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, starting there, if God is for us, who can be against us? Shall tribulation or distress or mental illness or mental health struggles or mental disorders? No, he says, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, who's going to do that? Who can separate us? And he says in verse 37 triumphantly, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life Angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, your mental health now or in the future, healthy or unwell, nothing, height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father you are beyond good beyond our descriptions and words are inadequate to describe your goodness that you would willingly send your son and that jesus the son you would willingly die to save sinners who are totally undeserving of any goodness or of any righteousness you are the god who before the foundation of the world destined to save sinners whom you would call into your family. And you bore the guilt of our sin on that cross, Jesus, so that we can come to you in whatever state, whatever situation we find ourselves in. And we can call out to you, not as just a God removed, but as Abba Father, Abba Father. Jesus, we thank you. So come to this time of worship, reflecting now through music, this worshipful time of music. May those truths stick firmly in our hearts. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. All for your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.